Umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Joining me on this episode is a man that's attended the Joel Brinkman School of Umpiring, worked the 1999 Pan Am Games, and is a Baseball Canada Umpire Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, David Bucky Buckingham. Topics we look to cover are how he got into umpiring, his trips to the Canada Games as both a player and an umpire, and how the Baseball Canada Umpire program has changed over the years. So sit back, relax, get ready. It's coming. If you be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost pal. I can call you Betty. And Betty, when you call me, you can call me Al. Let's be honest. Who doesn't like a little Paul Simon in the morning or the afternoon or the evening? But now that my karaoke skills are done, welcome to another episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Well, considering there's some good baseball out there right now with the Division Series being played on TV, I'm privileged and honored that you've decided to come back and join us for another episode here on The Leading Edge. Last week, we had on Regina Native, a man that's been to seven Baseball Canada National Championships and has a superb photographic memory, Bob Sonder. Bob shared with us some of those stories from those championships, a few ejections, and the time that he got to work with Stu Shearwater in his first adult game. So, if you didn't tune into that episode, or you have, and you really want to revisit it, here's what you've missed, or here's what you heard. Played one season there, playing first base and outfield for the local team in the lowest tier we could find. I had the privilege of also hitting a home run derby in the men's tournament in uh, Kenosi a few years back. They always put an umpire up in the Calcutta, and yeah, I was at the Saskatchewan Games in 2008, the, the money is not what keeps anybody around this game, I don't think. Oh, there's there's lots there's lots of great experiences. I mean, most of them actually probably come from off the diamond. Just spending some of the time with some of the guys. Like, well, one of the best parts of actually working in Regina was mom and dad got to see me work at a national championship. The lady from CTV's here, and they're doing story on you know local aspects to this tournament, and they you know want to want to interview the local umpire. I'm like, okay, I guess I can head out. And he says, but you got to get dressed. What do I do? Do what I'm told. So fine, start getting dressed. We all got to love Bob. Always trying to do what he's told. Well, if you want to find out exactly what that led to, tune into that last episode of The Leading Edge and you'll get to hear it. Remember, you can find it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, anywhere you really pod. Like I say, if you're listening to this one, you can probably find that one. So look for Bob Sonder. Now, this episode is only a couple minutes away. Now, before we get to this episode with Bucky Buckingham, I just kind of want to give everybody a little heads up that if you're tuning in regularly, the shows might be a little bit more sporadic, possibly going to every couple weeks over the next couple months simply because I'm studying for an exam and I got to divvy my time somewhere else right now. But we have no intentions of going anywhere. You know, baseball slowing down. The league championship series are just finishing up and... By the time the next episode is released, we could be in the last games of the World Series or the World Champion for 2020 could be announced. So like I said, baseball sometimes takes a little backseat in the wintertime, but don't worry, we're not going anywhere or have intentions of going anywhere. 
We're looking to bring some great baseball stories from the umpire side of the community here as the winter goes on and might even bring in some special guests as we go. So stay tuned, okay? We're going to have a lot of fun with it, just not as frequently over the wintertime. Okay, I'm going to stop breaking bad news and we're going to get into this episode. So without further ado, Leading Edge Umpires Entertainment is proud to bring on 1990 Pan Am Games umpire, a Baseball Canada Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, and a guy that is from Atlanta, Canada, but not the Maritimes, and says yes by David Bucky Buckingham. David, welcome to the Leading Edge. Well, Philip, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Now, Bucky, I want to lay the stage before we get going this week. How you got here really starts out with a Jim Cressman request to bring on Ron Zuchuk, and Ron responded to the call, and then Ron said, I want to hear Bucky. So he really is the one that has requested that you come on and share your story. So I want to thank you again for coming on, and I look forward to today. Well, thanks again, and thanks, for, uh, Ron, for requesting me. Uh, but uh, I think I'm giving away my age with all these requests that uh, you've been getting. Don't worry about your age, Bucky. The real question is, who has more hair, you or Ron? Uh, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> now, Bucky, let's get going here on this episode. We want to hear some stories about you. But one of the theories we have around here at the Leading Edge is that all great umpires come from bad players. Do you want to take the opportunity to defend yourself as a player? Or maybe share some of your playing the experiences if you have any? Well, Philip, I started playing baseball, I guess, at the age of 10, and uh, as we call it here, Little League. And then I progressed then from Little League into uh, what we call Pony League, into junior and into senior. I played roughly 20 years uh, of junior and senior baseball uh, here in St. John's. Played with a local team for most of my career called the Shamrocks. And um, uh, we were a powerhouse back in the early 80s and still to this day. I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to play on 10 championship teams with that uh, organization. I played on a provincial level as well, uh, both junior and senior all-star. Played junior all-star for four years and played, believe it or not, I'm certainly giving away my age now, played senior baseball all-star for 15 years. Uh, and fortunately enough, uh, won a number of championships, three or four in junior and eight in provincial senior. And that carried me on into national tournaments. Fortunately enough, I played in, I think, nine or ten uh, national tournaments, three or four on the junior level, and then played eight in the national senior. Ironically, uh, my first national senior tournament was in 1975 in New Westminster, B.C. And I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts, the great late Howard Chapman was umpiring in that tournament. <laughs> Because uh, you know Howard's been around forever, and God yeah. bless his soul, he's since left us. But uh, I'm sure Howard was there in uh, New Westminster in uh, 1975. Now, this is a quick post-show edit. Howard Chapman has been mentioned here multiple times on The Leading Edge. Now, as Buck alluded to, he did pass away in 2015. When he passed, Baseball British Columbia released a little memorial on their website, and I do have a link to that. That'll be in the show description. Just to give you a little understanding of some of the legacy that Howard Chapman has left in the province of British Columbia and essentially right across baseball Canada. Now you know where to find it. 
Now back to the show. So I was fortunate enough, uh, uh, Philip, to play on a bunch of all-star teams. I was a middle infielder, or left side of the infield, I should say, a third baseman, shortstop. Played in just about every province. Had a great time in uh, Hemiota, uh, Manitoba. Hemiota, Boys of Ain, Binchcart. Played uh, some great ball out there. Played one year in Regina in 96. So I had a, a fairly successful baseball career. But I, I think one of the highlights of my playing career was in 1977, uh, the Canada Summer Games uh, were held here in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. And uh, I was the starting third baseman for the Newfoundland team. That was a highlight. Uh, we played our first two games. We went 2-1. and one. Our fourth game, we played BC here in St. Pat's. And for you fellow umpires who've been to Newfoundland and seen St. Pat's, it's a beautiful ballpark in the, in the valley, uh, in, the, in the center of, sit, of the city. And we played in, the front, in front of about 8,000 people. Oh, wow. And what a rush that was. And to make a long story short, uh, BC scored two on the top of the first. We come back and our shortstop hits a home run to make it 2-1. And the crowd is going crazy. No question. Lo and behold, BC came to bat in the second and scored six. They scored five in the third, six in the fourth. <laughs> and by the, by the end of the game, it was 21-1. to one. Oh. But that was definitely a highlight playing in, in, in the summer games, right? Right. Uh, so, yeah, my playing career spanned the 20 years. Uh, I was fortunate, as I say, to play with a bunch of good ball players and still buddies uh, that I hang around with today. Well, Bucky, that is one of the most beautiful things about the Canada Games and the multi-sport event here in Canada. It's probably the top event in the country. I have never met a player, official, spectator that has ever gone to that event and hasn't left with memories and something they cherish for the rest of their life. So it's really nice to hear from a playing's perspective, exactly how it impacted you as a player. Now, let's talk about your umpiring career. How did playing, or in your opinion, how did playing the game help you become a better umpire? Phil, I always prided myself in, in, in sort of knowing most of the rules. I guess I was a, a go-to guy for some of my coaches who wanted to, like the DH rule or, or some quirky rule they may ask me so I, I was always up on the rules not that I read the rule book a lot just right. that I guess I had a feel for the game that certainly helped me uh, uh, with my umpiring career and I, I certainly enjoyed watching umpiring and it definitely helped me uh, to uh, continue on with my umpiring career no doubt about that I gave when I gave up playing I went full-time umpiring but prior to that I dabbled in umpiring back in the early 70s uh, with the old balloon yeah. Uh, I wore that for a, a couple of games in 1977, 78. I went back, done some junior games. Funny story. We'd be lying if we say we didn't like funny stories. Uh, 1978 or 1979, I was umpiring. And I was also playing. And I was a member of the Umpiring Association. And it's a ground ball. I was playing third base. And it's a ground ball, slow roller down the third baseline. And it went foul. Instead of me picking it up, I kicked it. And the first base umpire came over and called time, and he said, that's interference, awarded the runner on first base, second base. And I lost it, right? <laughs> Ended up being ejected. We protested the game. I called a buddy of mine out in Alberta, a guy by the name of Murray Service. I don't know if you ever heard of his name. No, it's a new one. Called Murray out in Alberta, and he said, hang on, Buck. He said, I'll get back to you. And he called me about two hours later, I think it might may even be less than that. And he said, definition of a foul ball. We won our protest, the game was replayed, and the umpire in chief kicked me out of the umpires association. Oh, really? It's a little vendetta. Yes. <laughs> a little <laughs> because vendetta. I went outside the province to get a rule clarification. 
But anyway, we made peace thereafter, and I continued down on fire thereafter. A little heavy-handed, but oh well. Well, at the time, Buck, how would one have gotten into the Umpire Association in Newfoundland? Uh, well, each each uh, province, uh, each part of the province had their own Umpires Association. Okay. And the guy who basically threw me out of the Umpires Association was a great recruiter. Okay. He went to high schools, and he was a teacher, and he uh, talked umpiring to to different classes, and he generated some umpires that way. That was basically it. We had some ball players who, uh, like myself, who umpired part time and played. There was really no, I guess, school of any nature, and it was just people came down and wanted to umpire. Not a lot of formal training, uh, Phil. Right. Not a lot of formal training at that time. So share with us how and when you might have got into umpiring, let's say full time. In 1989, I got into umpiring, and I wanted to do that more so than playing. I officially retired in 1990. I went full-time umpiring. Actually, I moved from St. John's New St. John's to the West Coast, Corner Brook. Sorry to hear about that. And uh, halfway through the season, and I didn't want to play in Corner Brook, so I went full-time umpiring. That was it. Uh, from 1990 to the present day, I've been full-time umpiring. Now, Buck, you said there was no formal training for umpiring. Did you ever consider or go to any schools to get any type of formal training? I did. Uh, actually, I went down to three different schools. Uh, not pro schools. I went to uh, one-week schools. first one I went to was Joe Brinkman's uh, back in 1990. And uh, actually, that's where I met my good friend, Elmer Djurkovic. Elmer was there. And we sort of hit it off, and I think we had a beer or two or three together while we were there. I'm not sure. I think I lost count. But anyway, I went down to Joe's school in 1990. Uh, actually, a uh, bit of trivia, Jeff Nelson, number 45, yes. doing the series now. Uh, he was one of the instructors. And uh, Jeff was in single A ball at the time. Okay. And uh, another guy instructing, uh, Rick Roder. Roder wrote a number of books on positioning and uh, things of that nature. And another guy there was a guy by the name of Richard Bullet Alexander from North Fork, Virginia, college umpire. As a matter of fact, I brought him and two other umpires to Newfoundland okay. twice for umpiring schools here. Uh, so that was my first stint. And uh, when I got home, my wife asked me how uh, the school went. I said, Marianne, didn't go very well. She said, why? <laughs> I said, I failed. She said, what do you mean you failed? I said, yeah, I got to go back next year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so anyway, anyway I, go back. I went back uh, the second time to, uh, it, it was changed then to Brinkman Fromey. Uh, Bruce Fromey yeah. came on board with Joe. And basically the same instructors, the only new one was a guy out of uh, Texas, south to Dotson Lewis. He was in charge of the Southwest Texas officials, which included basketball, football, and baseball. And he was just a wealth of knowledge, right? And so I stayed there the second year, and uh, it was great, great time. Uh, actually, Dale Legro oh, out Dale. of uh, Ontario uh, was there the second year I was there. For people who've been at the school, they put you through their paces. Not like the pro school for no. six weeks, but they cover uh, a lot of stuff, right? Quick story. Uh, in the first year I was there, second or third day I was doing a play. And at the, uh, at the schools, they would have the instructors on the field. And between innings, they would come and give you a pointer or two. Anyway, there was a runner around second base, single to right field, runner around second, rounds third, heading to home, right? Slides into home, and I bang him out. And I stuck my chest out. I said, what a great call, right? <laughs> With that, Bullet Alexander comes over to me. He said, Buck, Buck. I said, where were you? Well, Buck. I said, he was out. He said, I don't care if he was out. He said, where were you standing? At this point in time, I had no idea where I was. Right. 
standing in front of home plate. The throw went by my ear, almost hit me, right? Right? And he went out. So then he took me body and bones and took me over and showed me what third base line extended was. That's the first time I ever heard of it. No idea what first base line extended was or third base line extended, right? right. And it just it stuck with me ever since. And I always tell people the story. I mean, I was a pretty good baseball player. Knew the rules fairly well. Not a bad umpire in those days. So on a scale of one to 10, I figured going into the clinic, I may be a six or a five. After one day there, Philip, I wasn't even a one. I knew nothing about umpiring. The only thing I'd done properly was stand in fair territory behind first base property. Everything else <laughs> I'd done totally wrong. Totally wrong. So it's nice to be taught by people right. who know what they're talking about. And to be fair to people, you have to have good instructors because unless you're told something, you're going to continue to do it. No question. You're just going to. Right? Yeah. And. That was a great experience. In the third year, uh, I went to uh, Mike Siegel was his name, and his two chief instructors were Vic Voltaggio and Derwood Merrill, two great guys, two a wealth of knowledge. Derwood Merrill didn't want to talk rules, right, but he was just a great guy. And one thing I remember about that clinic, we had about 40 guys, and we'd spend 50 minutes a day, every day, putting our mask on and off. Right. Because people right-handed, left-handed, head down, not taking it off at all. And by the end of the week, we all knew how to take our mask off. Right. Right? And that I didn't know how to do it. Until, we, until they're told, you don't know these things. Right? Oh, no question. So the schools were great. They were. They, they were tremendous. Uh, listen to these guys. Another thing we used to do, Phil, while the game is going on, to be two umpires out, all two-man system. The other 50 or 20 or 30 guys would be in the stands with the instructors and they would be critiquing and showing us and telling us what to do. And until you see it, you got to visualize it. Like I've instructed many, many classes and everybody in the classroom knows how to do it. Right. Right. But put them on the field, what do you got to think? They don't know. But if you can show them on the field, it makes a big difference. It does, and I think that's a big thing, too, is learning how to give feedback because if you don't know what you're looking for, you're never able to critique it. And if you don't know what's being critiqued, you never know how to do it. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. And, and the thing is, as you just said, right, critiquing. But people have to be open-minded. As Larry Nichols says, yeah, but. <laughs> don't have a yeah, but for everything. Instructors don't talk for the sake of talking. They talk to instruct and to give you feedback. So listen to it. And I'm not saying instructors know everything but they can rationalize and discuss it and, and come to a decision. But a lot of people, yeah, but not one of my favorite words. I can respect that 100% because let's talk national championships. When we get supervisors or instructors that go to these championships to provide that feedback, they're, the, they're, they're not giving up their time to just show up and be told, uh, they're, they're there to see the program grow. Now let's talk quickly about how in 1990 you're going down to these schools in the States and how you might not have known some of this stuff because you were never told. In your opinion, how has the Baseball Canada umpire program changed over the years where this first base or third base extended has become common knowledge, if we could say, yes. and has, this program has grown over the years. We've had multiple people on here that have been part of that growth. Being that person back then and what it is now, what's your opinion of everything here in Canada? Well, Philip, it's it's amazing how far we have come. I mean, with the, the people that are sitting around the umpiring program uh, lead tables, a table, I should say, 
I mean, these are knowledgeable people. I remember the first and only caravan I attended was in 1990, uh, and uh, Yves Gagnon, um, who else? Fran McHugh was there. Who was the third guy from Quebec? Marc Fortier. These guys put off a great clinic, but you look at the handouts that they were giving and some of the uh, other stuff that they were doing, it was what was available. But now we've got so much more with the technology and, and everything else. And I honestly think the umpires today are well-trained, well-schooled, and I'll go out on a limb and say they're probably even better than what they were 30 years ago because of the training, right? Yeah. And I know that uh, uh, the guys, as I say, sitting around the table with all the different uh, departments, they're doing a great job, and they're communicating well, and they're getting stuff out there, and they're supervising. I mean, supervising is, is gone tenfold. I remember in 1998, the first time I supervised the Wee in – at PEI, 13 teams, two supervisors, myself and Kent Walker. Yeah. We were at the ballpark 8 o'clock in the morning to 12, well, 10 o'clock at night. Right. Trying to supervise. I mean, it, it was, and now we've got four supervisors, with, and yeah. they still work as, as hard as, any, as anybody at it. But uh, it's come tenfold. There's no doubt about it, right? The programs have gotten so much better. It is, and I can remember doing my first, I'm going to call it a national-level clinic, and I showed up in Fredericton, New Brunswick, on a Friday evening, you sat and read the rule book, and this was in the middle in the middle of January. You sat and read the rule book until Sunday morning. That was just what you did, and and, and just talk theory. But now these yeah. clinics are—I'll call them more interactive. They're really pushing it. Okay, here's a little bit of theory. Let's go do it in a gymnasium setting, and hopefully you can get on some field, depending on when, where you are and what province it is, of course. And it's really evolved and morphed, even in say the past ten years. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, uh, classroom work is great. You have to have a certain amount. Right. But you can't sit in the classroom for two and a half days. Can't be done. Now, I know with the, with the uh, caravans now and the clinics now, there's field work, there's gym work. And that's that's where you got to go with it, right? And, I mean, calling balls and strikes. I remember down to umpiring school, and I'm sure Ron can uh, appreciate this. we sit in the batting cage. We'd get in the cage, and the pitcher would throw with our eyes closed, and the instructor would tell us when to call it. That was our timing, right? I mean, okay. things of that nature. Or we'd go ourselves and, and with the pitching machine, and we'd call hundreds, hundreds of pitches, and the instructor would say, you're moving your head, you're too high, you're too low. That's the stuff that you that we do now at clinics, which we really didn't do 30 years ago, I don't think. We, we, we've just come so far with it, Philip, so far. I really believe all these initiatives with Baseball Canada and the Umpire Program really only leaves room for growth. You say that when you went to your first championship as a supervisor, you were there from sun up to sundown. Well, it's funny. I remember that uh, that uh, at tournament, both tournaments, the same one I had in in two thousand in the Canada Cup. Uh, Brian Jensen was with me. The last day, both Kent and Brian basically had to take the day off to go right up the evaluations, right? Because we we had to get them done, and there was just no time with two of us at the ballpark. So the last day, uh, I was flipping back between two fields. So it's tough. And, and, and thank God Baseball Canada realized that and gave us the funds and the manpower to go to three and four men uh, supervisors. Right. To where, where we need to be. I couldn't agree more, though, Bucky, because this change has not just benefited the supervisor. It's also benefited the umpire because now the supervisor can give feedback. Exactly. And people can spend some quality time and discuss what happened in the game because... Now the supervisors can provide a more thorough debrief, and when the umpires improve, 
essentially the game gets yeah. better and the quality of the championship improves. You're exactly right, Phil. I mean, these umpires deserve the feedback. They deserve because they want to know. Right. Most of the umpires that I've supervised uh, with other guys, they want to know how they're doing, right? They just don't want to hear, yeah, good game. Uh, you missed that call. You got that one right. They want to know some proper feedback. And it's not easy sometimes doing that. But they do appreciate it for most part. Right. Most people do appreciate the good feedback and the bad feedback. And I That's think how we get better. Right, exactly. And I think people are getting better at receiving feedback because most of the provinces now, at one time, the only place you got any feedback was at the national championship. But now programs are developing where they're getting their regular feedback from their super, their provincial supervisors, their local supervisors. We're building a culture of constant feedback. Now, I'm not going to say that we're perfect at it, but I, I know that I'm more willing to give feedback and receive feedback than I was 10 years ago. Well, I know for me personally, uh, Phil, I mean... Uh, I was fortunate enough to get to a number of championships, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to go was to get some feedback no from people that were, say, from out of province who did never saw me before. Because people around here know me, and they they yeah. know what I do, and it is what it is, sort of thing. Right. And but when I get go to a national tournament, I get proper feedback, right? And which which we we need. Yes. And we just need a different voice. And sometimes it's just a different way of philosophy or presentation that makes it finally click. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's nice to step outside the box and have someone else tell you yes or no. And no yeah buts. Let's move on from the National Championship Supervisor Portfolio discussion here. And let's move on to some uh, maybe a memorable provincial championship that you might have worked in Newfoundland. Wow. I've done a number. I, I tell you one that... <laughs> sticks out in my mind. The Newfoundland Summer Games in 1996. It's sort of a family affair. Newfoundland Summer Games are held uh, every uh, Summer Games every four years. We're doing a tournament. I was the umpire chief at the time and I was doing the signing. My son dabbled in umpiring as did my brother who done a couple of national tournaments. Okay. And we were doing a, doing a game in uh, Conception Bay which is just outside uh, St. John's a small uh, town of a 30,000 people now, I'd say. Back then, it was probably 15. And normally, when I go to a, a, a ballpark, here in St. John's, people know who I am, so I don't have to introduce myself. But when I go outside of the city, it's just a habit I have, I'll introduce myself to both both coaches, as well as my partners will do the same. So we're standing at the home plate meeting. I'm the umpire chief, so I introduce myself to, uh, to the coaches. I said, hi, my name is Dave Buckingham. My son steps in and says, hi, my name is David Buckingham. And then my brother steps in and says, hi, my name is Bill Buckingham. Well, the two coaches looked at each other and they didn't know which way to go. And I said, boys, let's have fun. And they had a chuckle and off we went. So from a personal point of view, I mean, that, that was, that's a game that stands out. But on a senior level, listen, most provinces have very competitive centers when it comes to their provincials. Yes. And we're no different here in Newfoundland. Uh, St. John's and Corner Brook have been uh, a rivalry since 1947 when baseball started here. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to do, I'd say, 16 or 17 national, uh, provincial tournaments uh, with Corner Brook and St. John's. And Philip, to be truthful with you, there's no one game that stands out. Because all these series that, uh, that go on, it's like the World Series. So all the teams are at the top of their game. And... I guess my job is to make sure that the umpires were at the top of their game. 
And we've had some battles over the years. We've had some ejections, I'm sure. Uh, I've had a couple. Just the rivalry between the two centers is, was a highlight for me and to be involved in those games. Just on another note, one game that sticks out uh, in my mind, Cornerbrook uh, had beaten St. John's in game six or game seven. And it was uh, not a heated game. It was, a, it was a good ball game. And I had to play. And anyway, Cornerbrook won. And two days later, <laughs> uh, I run, run into the pitcher for Cornerbrook, a young fellow by the name of Mike O'Neill. He's still playing today. He's 51 now, I think. He was only a kid then, probably 22 or 23. And I said, Mike, congratulations on your win. And he said to me, he said, uh, Buck, were you at the game? I said, Mike, I was the home plate umpire. Oh, so, right, so you were. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I do remember that that game, right? Yes. But no, St. John's and Quarterbrook had, had a great rivalry, uh, some uh, extra inning games. But still, there's no one game that stands out. They were all great games. We often open up stuff on the internet or read stuff in the news, and you look and see these big centers, these big cities, these big organizations in different parts of the world. But that's the one nice thing about being part of baseball in Canada. It's a small community once you're in it. And it's really nice when you open up a provincial paper and see that here's the score of the baseball game and to know that you were part of that game. Oh, there's no doubt, right? I mean, uh, as they say, they can't do they can't play the game without us, right? But right. Uh, no, it's nice. And what I like, uh, I like people that enjoy what they do and want to get better at what they do. Uh, Philip, uh, I'm sure every province has them. I mean. Sure, it's nice to get a few dollars for your game for a cold bottle of beer thereafter, but I like to see the interest, right? That That's what turns my crank, right? I mean, Tune in on the next episode where we find out how to turn Bucky's crank. But Bucky, that beer up in Newfoundland, is that Blue Star? Is that your favorite? Yeah, it's a local beer. Uh, Blue Star is a, is a local beer. Uh, we have a number of uh, uh, independent breweries here now. So yeah, we're known for our beer. We are. And our screech. And the screech. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that potentially in a few minutes. But let's keep it on Newfoundland umpiring specifically. A couple weeks ago, I'm clicking the TV, and all of a sudden a man by the name of Carl Lake comes up on a little episode of the National Umpire. Probably, what is he on, his 50th year? He's just announced his retirement. What is it like to look back and say you've, you see some of these guys, umpires and players that have been involved in the game like yourself for a long time. How do you look back on that and say, wow, like, what a ride it's been. Philip, no doubt, right? And, and Carl in particular, he had 53 years uh, of umpiring, right? And uh, Carl has been stricken now with, with, with cancer. And he got a game in this year to get his 53rd uh, year in. Uh, but Carl's been around a long while. Actually, <laughs> Carl probably thrown me out of a couple of games uh, <laughs> early in my career as well, right? Right. And uh, we, we kissed and made up since because uh, we, we've done a number of games together. Carl was a great umpire. He kept it going for years, 16, 17, 80 games some years uh, when we were low on umpires. So Paul, or Carl was definitely a, a pillar of strength for the umpires, right? How would you describe the transition from going to a player and getting thrown out by some of these guys to then being their equal as an umpire on the field? Well, I, I think the transition went well, right? Uh, most people knew, uh, obviously, that I played the game for years. and. Uh, and I think I had the respect as a ball player um, from the umpires as being a, a half decent ball player. And so I, I think that probably carried over into my umpiring ability because when I got into it, um, uh, 
I went big, uh, Philip. I mean, I got the best of gear. I got all the stuff. I mean, uh, I didn't wear hockey shin pads. I mean, I had the uh, Riddell chest pad, and I and I looked the part. Right. So that itself, uh, I guess, got me a bit of respect. Uh, as I uh, say, as you know, right? Uh, if you walk into a room and a guy is dressed like an umpire and another guy is dressed like a bum, right. uh, the guy who looks like a bum may be a better umpire, but you're going to pick the guy who is dressed right. So, uh, yeah, I went at it um, uh, all out, and um, uh, I, I took my lumps and bumps along the way and, uh, uh, from, from some players, but never had any problem with the umpires, right? Nice. Um, they, they were always on my side. Bucky, I couldn't agree with you more when you talk about gear and appearance. I have a saying, you got to look good to be good, and I firmly believe you can control what you can control, and everything else kind of falls in line. But having good quality gear and looking the part are 90% of the battle before the game even starts. Philip, you're right. And I mean, that's uh, uh, that's where Baseball Canada uh, has certainly come a long way uh, with the, the dress for at the national competition. Uh, funny story, I think it was about 1992, back here in Newfoundland, uh, I instituted numbers on the uh, jerseys. When I, I go to a national tournament, I'd have the old El Bico powder uh, shirts on, <laughs> yep. and I'd have number 20 on it. <laughs> And that went down for about two years, and then I was also umpire-in-chief. And I remember Don Gilbert at the time was uh, umpire-in-chief for the country, and he said, Buck, these numbers got to go. So it came into effect that we were not allowed to wear numbers on our uniform, on our shirts thereafter, right? So, uh, yeah, so, no, but getting back to the uniform, Phil, you're 100% correct, right? You got to wear it, you got to wear it properly, and you got to look the part. I mean, nothing looks better in my mind. You're right, you got to show that you want to be there. But looking back on the era, 92, 93, I think a lot of the provinces were going to numbers, weren't they? I know in, in the East they did, right? I don't think it's very popular out West, but in the East uh, uh, they did, right? I remember Jody Frowley. I think Jody uh, had one that had, uh, had numbers on his, right? But listen, I mean, you got to have the, you got to be uh, in the same uniform. Right. And right. I mean, you, you, you don't want to stand out. No. Now, I still on my plate coat have number 20, uh, Philip. When I wear my plate coat, it still has number 20 on it, right? <laughs> so do you still wear that plate coat? Oh, yes. The best piece of equipment I got is the plate coat. Love it. Keeps you nice and warm on those nice, breezy, cool, crisp, fall St. John's evenings. In indeed so. Indeed so. Okay, Buck, how many national championships have you had the privilege of being part of? Phil, I've been to 12, 12 as an umpire, 7 as a supervisor, and won Pan Am Games in 99. Okay, we're going to talk about your Pan Am game experience here shortly, but let's focus now on the national championship. So you've been to 12 as a as an umpire and 7 as a supervisor. Where are some of the places that you've been or some of the memories that you've had there in, in locations? Oh, well, what places I've been umpiring. Yeah. Been to Sherbrooke for the uh, Cup, I think. Been to London for the Summer Games. I've been to uh, Windsor. Wow, where else have I been? Let me check a note here. I feel like I got a note somewhere I've been. Yeah, that's right, guys. This guy prepared for the show. Got his notes going. Been to Dartmouth. Uh, PEI a number of times. Spent a lot of time in the old lower Canada. Did you get in the upper Canada at all? No, I haven't been out west. I never umpired out west. Uh, that's a, no, did I? Uh, I don't think I did. Not in Regina? No, that was a convention. I was in Regina for a convention. Sorry to hear about no, that. No, I didn't get out west. No. What are some of the calibers of the baseball that you've done for your national championships? 
Well, actually, Philip, I think I've done all the levels. Uh, I've done a couple of peewee, I've done a bantam, I've done a midget, uh, I've done a couple of cups, I've done summer games, I've done junior, I've done senior. Yeah, I've done, it. I've done them all. <laughs> Since you mentioned it, I have to ask, how many times have you been to the summer games? Uh, as a player or umpire? <laughs> <laughs> as an umpire. <laughs> we hear, we've heard on two different episodes there might be... Yeah, I've been to three. Philip, one as a player and two as an umpire. I finished one and uh, so-called finished the second one. So-called <laughs> I didn't finish the second one, I should say. No, I've been there twice. In, in 01, I was in uh, London. Worked with a crew by D Dave Cass out of New Brunswick yep. and Piri Rusi out of BC. Uh, great crew. And I guess I had the unfortunate accident of being hit by a pitch, a foul ball, and ended up on the broad of my back and uh, let off the field with a concussion. And unfortunately, didn't uh, get to finish the uh, uh, the games. Uh, Don Gilbert, the umpire in chief at the time, he said, Buck, you're done. And I said, what do you mean, done, Don? I said, I'm not finished. He said, you're done. <laughs> I said, okay, Don. Uh, <laughs> If you say so, right? Right. So, unfortunately, I didn't get to uh, finish that tournament. Uh, it was uh, quite a crack I took. Uh, I, vaguely, I remember when I was down, and I think there was uh, a couple of nurses there, which you're a profession, and uh, I remember looking up at Perry Rusi. Perry was doing uh, first base at the time. I said, Perry, boy, you better get the gear on. I said, I'm not going to finish it, right? And right. anyway, I, I think they went with two men thereafter. So anyway, that was my first experience with the uh, Summer Games. So then I stepped down as umpire-in-chief in, -chief in uh, 2007, and Mark Jones took over. And we got talking about the Summer Games. And I said, Mark, you know, I never did finish the Summer Games. I should have a second chance of going back. Okay. So anyway, Mark brought it forth to the Baseball Canada Committee, and uh, um, they didn't see anything wrong with it, so they gave me an opportunity to go back the second time. So I went back again in 13, and uh, that was in uh, in Sherbrooke. Sherbrooke, yes. I was doing a game. On my crew that year was Lisa Turbot out of Ontario and uh, Dave Ford out of Manitoba. Yeah. Uh, great crew. Uh, anyway, I'm doing the play. The top of the second inning. No, yes, Ontario, B.C. The B.C. batter gets beamed in the head. Okay. And he's starting to fall back. So I come out from behind the catcher and catch the young fella and lay him on the ground. <laughs> With that, the paramedics come out. The ambulance is called. Take him off the field Take him off the field in an ambulance. And the game is delayed for about 25, 30 minutes. We're all in the umpire's room. Okay. John sense. Oko is one of the supervisors. He comes in and he says, okay, boys, we're ready to go again. So, okay, we put the gear back on. I go back on the field. Two innings later... I get hit in the head, oh. and I go down. Paramedics are out again. <laughs> Ambulance is on route again. And I remember vividly, the uh, paramedics are there, and they wanted to cut my shirt. So I said, okay, go ahead. And then they wanted to cut my chest pad. I said, boys, oh. don't cut the chest pad. I said, cut yeah, yeah. the shirt, but not the chest pad. Anyway, they carry me off in an ambulance. And I only found out, uh, uh, actually, from an email from you, that Rob Allen apparently stepped in and finished the game for me. So I end up going to the hospital uh, in Sherbrooke, and right next door to me is the guy who got hit in the head 
with the, with the baseball. So two of us are there in, in the same hospital. So I finally get back to the, uh, to the hotel, 12, 30, 1 o'clock at night. And the boy said, Buck, uh, you're done from behind the plate, but uh, we'll put you on the base for another game. So, no, uh, the uh, games were great, but uh, my big head got in the way too often. But thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, Bucky, we never really want to laugh at injuries because it's not fun. No. Especially with this day and age, we all have to be careful about head injuries and the long-term effects of it. And just to give you perspective, we've had David Cass on the show, and he says that that hit was probably the scariest thing yeah. that he had ever seen on the ball field in his entire career. Okay. So they tell me, but, uh, I mean, uh, I guess I'm a sucker for punishment. I came back again, right? <laughs> right. And uh, I can't wait to get back behind the plate again. Yeah. But uh, that, it happens. That's, the, that's I guess, the, uh, that's the risk. what happens in the line, in the line of action. Right. I mean, there, there's a certain level of risk that we do take as umpires, and I don't think the general population really appreciates it that, yeah, we come and umpire the game, and sure, we're wearing our equipment, and hopefully that yeah. it hits us, hits us in the right spot, a.k.a. in yeah. the equipment. But, but lots of nights, guys go home black and blue and yeah. Yeah. put their bodies on the line to... Well, the, I, I know that tournament as well, Phil. Uh, Lisa Turbot, uh, she took a number of smacks in that tournament as well, and uh, she got beat up pretty bad, and... Uh, but uh, unlike me, she hung in there, right? And uh, done a great job. But yeah. another, you're talking about Dave, Dave Cass seeing uh, me get hit. Uh, I was in Fredericton in 15, and my good buddy, uh, Darren Scott, was yes. doing uh, home plate. That was situation. Uh, I, I forget who was playing, and boy, he took one, and down he went. Yep. And uh, I was doing that game as a supervisor, and I went out, and Darren tried to get up, and I said, Darren, stay down, stay down, right? And finally, some medical attention uh, came and had a look at him. And uh, it's scary. It is. There's no doubt. I mean, uh, um, you don't want to see it happen to anybody. Uh, but let's just say it does happen. And um, that, that's part of baseball. Now, most of the people listening are probably umpires. And a lot of Canadians listen. And we're all Canadian baseball fans. So thinking Toronto Blue Jays. And look back a couple years ago when Dale Scott took a headshot yes. in Toronto. Went down. At, that's the reality. These guys, everyone's at risk. Look at, uh, I think, my good buddy, uh, um, uh, Jeff Nelson, in the right. World Series last year. You're right. I mean, he left in the second inning. Yep. He took one, right? So, I mean, how, uh, it does happen, and I, I don't think there's any any way around it. No. Right? No. It's just something. Let's hope it doesn't happen very often. Right. All you can do is have the best gear, and hopefully it does its job. Exactly. Now, when you work these national championships, what are some of the things that you look forward to when you get the call? Hey, Bucky, can you go this year? Uh, well, it's, it's always exciting. First of all, it, it, it's, it's an honor to get a phone call. I agree. You, you I don't agree. know if you're going to get one, although we're, uh, each province is allowed so many. But it's always nice to, to get the phone call from um, my boss, Mark Jones, or from Baseball Canada saying that uh, are you interested in going to, to here? It elevates my game before I go. Uh, in preparation uh, for the Nationals. Not that I, I'm, I'm a slacker here at home, I'm not, but you prepare for the National tournaments uh, um, a little bit differently than you may do for your local Bantam game or something. But no, it's nice to get away. Um, I like meeting the new people. I, I know a lot of the guys that are going to these uh, tournaments, I probably have met them before somewhere along the lines, but it's always nice to get up and see some fresh faces and uh, work with some uh, good people. And I know from my experience, everybody elevates their games at these national tournaments. And if they don't, it's noticeable. 
Right. Great bunch of umpires. Now, you don't have to get into too much detail, Buck, but you mentioned that you prepare differently. What is one of the things that you would do differently during the season to prepare for a national championship? At a national tournament, you're probably going to get two plates at, at, at most, right? At most. But what I like to do is I like talking to some of the senior umpires here before I go who've been away uh, at their tournaments and get some feedback from these guys. Just work at your game, uh, Philip. That's what I do, right? I mean, I know when I miss a, miss a pitch. I do self-evaluations after every game on myself. People don't do that, but I do. I know when I miss one, and I know if I was in the wrong position. And why was I in the wrong position? Lack of concentration? Probably. Being lazy? Probably. So, I mean, that's the stuff that you want to get out of the way before you go to a national tournament. Right. Because you've got all kinds of eyes on you, supervisor's eyes, right? And they're picking, that, picking you apart. It's what you want, but you don't want to be picking apart stuff that you should know. Exactly. You say you get two plates. Some championships, you might only get one plate. So you only get really 300 exactly. pitches exactly. to prove yourself. It's a short amount of time for all the work that actually goes in behind the scenes to get yeah, to that moment. Do. And if you that, That's part of it. That, that's part of it, uh, calling the balls and the strike. But it's game, game management comes into it, how you handle yourself, what you do on the field, what you do between innings, right. how you handle uh, players. All that stuff comes oh, into no it, question. right? Balls and strikes are certainly important. Balls and strikes are just one aspect of being an umpire. I think that's one thing that people don't get a lot of re- give a lot of respect for either. You look at, let's say, football or the NFL or the NHL, one person's a referee, one person's a linesman. That's their focus. The one thing about being a baseball umpire is tonight you're working the plate, but then tomorrow you have to go work a completely different aspect, a different yeah. positioning. There's more to it. It's, you're, you're, not, you're more of a generalist than you are a specialist, if that makes sense. You're, you're correct in saying that. You are, right? What I find too, Philip, is the, is, is the mindset. You've oh. got to get the right mindset, right? right. And don't belittle the third base assignment. No, not as, at all. And look forward to your plate assignment. Because as Joe Brinkman said to me, he said, in a four-man system, if you're doing third base, you're going to get one call. And he said, by God, he said, you better get it right. A hundred percent. Yes. That check screen is important, right? You've got to stay focused and don't be thinking about your plate game because that's that's where all the action is. Right. But what you do at third base is just as important. But don't think about your plate game. Take your, your, your game, what you're doing that day. That's more important than your plate game that you're going to get tomorrow. Bucky, I couldn't agree with you more. One of the things that I like to do in a year to prepare for national championships is actually focus on my base game, especially Because out here in Saskatchewan, we like to call it a prairie umpire, a guy that's really good on the plate, but struggles on the bases because there's nobody else to work with in their hometown to push them to get better. So essentially, the guy does every plate for every game, so the balls and strikes and the strike zone is not really a problem. But it's not hard to find an umpire who doesn't understand the bases because they definitely struggle or get luck lost out there. Well, you hit the nail on the head there, there, Philip. I mean, what you think you're weak at is what you should work on. Right? I mean... That's what you should do. Yeah, I, 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 that means I have to work on everything, though. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to hit that low outside pitch. I know it. Uh, you'll get one. You'll get one right one of these days. <laughs> yeah. That... As long as you look good doing it, Philip. <laughs> that's that's the important thing. You got to look good doing yeah. it. But yeah. you've been to multiple national championships, Bucky. And in 1999, you get a phone call. Can you represent Canada at the Pan Am Games? Can you walk us through what it was like to get that phone call or essentially how this all materialized? Wow. Uh, definitely a, a highlight of my career, uh, Philip, was the Pan Am Games. Um, in 1998, the year before, 
IBA had assigned, I think, Baseball Canada six spots. Okay. Let's just put it out there. 1999, the Pan Am Games are being hosted in Winnipeg. So you know, yes. it's Canada's essentially hosting, and sometimes when a nation hosts, they will get a couple extra spots. But- yeah, yeah you're, you're correct, right? And, and I think in 98, we were assigned six spots. Uh, plus uh, two supervisors, uh, one being Dan Gilbert, Gilbert, and the other one Larry Nichols, and all the way through from 1998 until I got the final phone call that I was going, we didn't really know. We had an idea who was going, but it wasn't finalized. So finally, I got a phone call. I think it was from Don, followed up with something from IBA saying that I was selected to go to uh, Winnipeg. And I was thrilled with that and uh, to get away uh, to the Pan Am Games. It was definitely, as I say, a highlight. It ended up being five, only five of us going. It was Ben Mercier went, uh, Yves Gagnon, uh, Aziz Cheveria, myself was four, and Brian Hodgson from Manitoba was five. If I'm correct in saying this, I think I am. We were supposed to have six, and which meant that a decision had to be made that someone wasn't going. Okay. You mentioned him earlier, and I want to go out on a limb and say that Mr. Ron Suchuk stepped aside. Oh, wow. And made it possible for us five to continue on. I want to thank Ron for doing that because I don't know if I would have been one of the ones <laughs> dropped or not. Who knows? But I think, as rumor has it, and it's probably fact, that Mr. Suchuk stepped aside and let uh, the five of us go. But it was a great, a great experience. Um, there was 20 umpires from across the, the world. We had a pre-tournament meeting, and Donnie Gilbert and Larry done a great job. We were using four-man crews, okay. and they had each umpire doing a plate, first, second, and third, and a day off for five days. So that means you've done every base and a plate plus a day off for five days. We thought it was great. Plus, he also had four Canadian umpires doing a game. Uh, myself, Haji, Asi Cheveria and Yves Gagnon. Four Canadians were going to do a game. Oh, wow. Two Olympians and two Lifetime Achievement Award winners. But unfortunately, and I guess this is, a, this is I guess a sour point for me. With all the work that Danny and Larry put into, into doing the schedule, they really had no say. Right. Because each day would be A, make their own assignments. Uh, and everything was thrown out the window. Uh, I know... My game, my plate game, I had Brazil and Cuba, and I was supposed to do, I think, uh, Guatemala and uh, Panama, I think, or whoever. That was supposed to be on a Tuesday, 10 o'clock on a Monday morning, Larry Nicholas knocks on my door and says, Buck, you're doing a game at 2 o'clock this afternoon, Cuba and Brazil, right? So that was what IBA done with it, right? Right. And, uh, but... Other than that, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, some umpires, Canadian umpires were good. We were good. Right. Uh, Perry Costello out of the States, he was good. Nelson Diaz from uh, from Cuba, he was a good umpire. But we had some other umpires that were out of their league. Not like today with the WBC, where they're handpicked and, and they know what they're doing. Back in those days, countries could send who they wanted. Uh, in particular, we had a guy from uh, the Brazil. His name was Toshi Anumo. He done a game behind the plate. He had a rough game. Okay. And after the game was over, he went to uh, Donnie Gilbert and said, uh, Donnie, me no more umpire. He didn't want to umpire anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> <He went> to- <laughs> so other than that, I mean, uh, it was good ball. Crowds were great. As I say, I had that Cuba-Brazil game, and um, it was a TV game. And I was hooked up uh, uh, with uh, the mic and all that. I had to wait for the green light to go to <laughs> start the game. and So that was different. Well, that's a big and, difference from St. Pat's Park and St. John's, eh? 
I tell you, uh, Cuba won six one, beat Brazil. It was a good game, and but it's a blur. I don't remember it. Oh, the yeah. only thing is, I have it on tape. Um, one of the guys um, uh, that were there, they, they were taping all the games, and he got me a copy of the tape. Pitching was unbelievable, right? Uh, pro pitchers, basically. I mean, hit the glove. It was a strike. It was easy to call. Jose Contreras was playing with the uh, Cuba at the time. I don't think he pitched, but he was there. And another guy was by the name of Omar Linares. He was a great home run hitter out of, out of Cuba. He was, yeah. he was playing, right? But a funny thing happened after the game. Uh, no, before the game. I was umpiring with uh, a guy from the Antilles, Netherlands, Guatemala, and Mexico. And I was doing the plate. None of them spoke English. So, and Cuba and Brazil, they didn't speak English. Right. So the whole plate meeting was uh, basically, let's play ball. So after the game was over, uh, Cuba had beaten them, as I say, 6-1, to one, beat Brazil. And I'm in the umpire's room and sitting back, having a cold one. And we had a, a guy that used to look after us, the clubhouse guy, right? Uh, look after us, uh, make sure our needs were looked after. And he said, Buck, you're watching at the door. And I said, who the hell wants me in Winnipeg after the game, right? Yep. So I go to the door, and here is the Brazilian catcher in his full gear, and he bows to me and says, good game, sir, good game, sir, and <laughs> off he goes. Oh, Never wow. saw it before in my life, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but no, the games were great. The opening ceremonies were great. The the guys were great. Well-run tournaments. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. Ended up doing a, a semifinal game in Mexico and the USA. USA won 2-1. Great ball game. Now, you said you did Team USA in the semifinal. How many times did you get to work them? Yes, and in the actually, I've done Team USA twice. The semifinal game with Mexico, uh, Buddy Bell was the manager. Yes. Uh, he came out twice uh, to Ozzy Chevery at second base. <laughs> uh, once he came out. Ozzy was at second, I was at third. Ben Mercier was down the right field line. Uh, Nelson Diaz was behind the plate. Benito, Benito, whatever, I can't think Is of his Diego? last name. And, and the Brazilian guy was down the, down the uh, uh, left field line. And he said to me when he came out, he said, you show me where to stand. I know where to stand. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But no, it was a good tournament. It was. It was, uh, I mean, it was it's a class act. Now, like you've mentioned, that's a tournament or a championship that you look back on. That's a memory you're going to have forever. You look back on that Team USA, of course, like you said, you had Buddy Bell as a manager. Everyone on that team was essentially drafted or played some kind of professional baseball. But one of the names that stands out is Dave Roberts. Dave, the manager currently of the Los Angeles Dodgers going for a world championship title. Looking back on it, how does it feel to know that you shared the same field with those type of baseball players and the impact that they've had on baseball worldwide? Well, uh, to be truthful with you now, uh, Philip, I, I don't recall a lot of the American, uh, other than Buddy Bell, right? Uh, okay. I, I, I can't recall a lot, a lot of the players on the team, but I know there are a great, great ball team, right? And that final yeah. game against uh, Cuba was a, was a great game as well, right? Right. Well, you mentioned another guy there by the name of uh, Jose Contreras. I mean, Contreras went on to win the World Series with, what, the White Sox in 05? Yes, and he did. United, yeah. United he States did. had another guy, Milton Bradley, played for the Expos for years. Okay. I mean, we, Matt LaCroix, Adam Kennedy. I mean, there were, I think, just lots of names. When you go to these championships, these are young players, of course. They're not, yeah. they're not the materialistic superstar that we eventually see them years later. Now, let's stop talking about the teams outside of Canada. Let's talk about Canada specifically. You know, that was a big year, 99, the year that Canada really came on the scene internationally. Stubby Clap doing his thing to help Canada beat the USA in extra innings. Yeah, yeah they had a great tournament. Uh, Ernie Witt was coaching them at the time, right? 
Gotta love and, Ernie uh, Witt. They, they, they played some great ball games. And that game against went extra innings. I'm not sure who United was against. States, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was the U.S., I think. Yeah. Uh, because Nelson Diaz was doing home plate, the Cuban umpire. Okay. At that tournament, you were allowed so many visits to the mound. I mean, it wasn't like right. regular baseball. I think you were allowed three. And Ernie Witt only used two. Okay. If it goes extra innings, you're only allowed one visit to the mound, and you had to change him. But Ernie thought he could take the extra trip that he didn't use in the first nine innings. Anyway, I think that's the way it went. And it got into a protest, and uh, Team Canada had to come up with $200 U.S., to bring to the protest committee to uh, see if they uh, uphold their protest. And anyway, to make a long story short, they didn't. Uh, they lost the protest. But if I'm not mistaken, they came back and won the game. I think they beat, uh, they won seven to six, I do believe. Yes. But the big, big crowd there for that game. And uh, uh, it was a great game, it was. Talking about that protest real quickly, that protest or that situation ended up getting Ernie ejected and after a little lengthy dispute and... He ended up covering up the plate with some dirt and putting on a little show for the hometown crowd. It ended up bringing Canada on the world map. Andy Stewart steps in the bottom of the 11th inning and hits a three-run home run. Now, a few batters later, Stubby Clap steps into the box with the bases loaded and hits a shallow fly ball to left field where the shortstop, Travis Dawkins, is heading out, calls for the ball, and then eventually just stops. The ball falls. Run scores, Canada wins. Thus upsetting Team USA on the world circuit, you could say. And really, like I said, this was the break Canada had to get on the international baseball scene. They ended up with a bronze medal at this championship in front of their home crowd. And just like Brandon back in 1991 at the World Youth Championships, Stubby Clap does it Canada style. Now, this is one of our post-show edits. Go to our show description. You're going to find a link to that play and you will get to relive Baseball Canada history all over again. So like I said, go watch Dubby Clap hit a 3-2, two outs in the bottom of the 11th, single to left field to help Canada win over Team USA at the 1999 Pan Am Games in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Now back to the show. Okay, Bucky, moving on. We're going to move on to a part of the show that we like to call 10 questions. I'm going to ask you a question, and if I like your answer, I'm going to give you a... If I disagree with you, then you're going to get a... That's where I get to be the supervisor, okay? Okay, you got it. Let's have some fun here. Considering you're the first guest on the show from Newfoundland, if an individual from across the country shows up in Newfoundland, where is one place they must visit? George Street. <laughs> What's so special about George Street for the average folk? Well, George, George Street is about 200 feet long with 28 drinking establishments uh, on it. So it's a nice place to go for for a cold beer. What's the best time of year to hit up George Street? Uh, July is a great month. Uh, George Street Festival, they close off the whole street for a week, and uh, it's just one big party. I think a couple of the umpires have been on George Street. Uh, after they've been squeezed in here at my place, we ended up down there a couple of nights. Closing off 200 feet of George Street, what's that? Closing off 50% of St. John's? <laughs> big, big deal. <laughs> Close to it, Philip. Close to it. <laughs> well, since we're asking, a few have been screeched in. Trevor Drury wants to know whatever happened the night that uh, at the baseball convention, he lost his wallet and still hasn't found it. Uh, well, <laughs> I think he may have had too many blues there uh, starting out, and uh, I think someone else found it, and now they're impersonating him somewhere 
in Eastern Canada. <laughs> so there's a Trevor Drury Jr. out there. Somewhere. It was a great night. It was a great night had by all. That's one of the beautiful things too. We, we talk about it every week on this episode, on this show, but the camaraderie that's really developed and, you know, you bring in the Baseball Canada Convention, which is what, new, uh, typically in November? The um- yeah, yeah, first week in November. Yeah, and we, we talk about umpiring being a summer-specific job, you say, but it's 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 a year-round camaraderie. It doesn't really matter what time of day. And I think Dave Cass alluded to it previously that the people that you meet doing this across the country are just phenomenal. You can drive right across this country and get a car breakdown and, hey, I know this person lives here in Saskatchewan. They might be 300 kilometers away, but they can figure out how to help me. Oh, you're, you're exactly right, uh, Philip. I mean, uh, I've been fortunate to, to attend 20 of these, so you multiply 20 times 12. I mean, that's a lot of people and from all across the country. And as you just said, I, I can certainly pick up the phone and call anywhere within the country and come up with an umpire who will certainly help you out, right? right. And uh, I, we're a very unique bunch. I mean, uh, <laughs> yes. I don't know if there's another sporting official association like umpires. I don't think hockey has it. Uh, I don't think football has it. I don't think basketball has it. But I mean, umpires, we are definitely unique and we do have each other's back. There's no doubt about that. And a uh, great bunch of guys and women. Now keeping it Newfoundland. Are we going Mary Browns or are we going KFC? Hey, gotta go Mary Browns. No question, Mary Browns. I got your back as an umpire all day with that one. Now I'm going to ask a controversial question. 2019, the late Roy Halladay is inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He does not go in with a hat for a specific team. In your opinion, who should he have went with? The Jays or the Phillies? Boy, I gotta go uh, with... The Jays, there's no doubt about it. He, he was a great uh, pitcher for the Jays. He done well with the Phillies, but I think the Jays, being the Canadian. That's always going to be controversial. I know he had some good days with the with the Phillies, but I think he could have had some better days if he would have had a little bit of defense and a little bit more offense with the Blue Jays, in my opinion. And another and a few breaks from the umpires. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no question about that one. It's really amazing how much umpires have affected the game over the years. But let's not talk about that one. In your opinion, are you a hitter's umpire or a pitcher's umpire? Wow. Are they my only two choices? Well, I was going to further break it down. Do you typically give the break to the right-handed batter or the left-handed batter? <laughs> uh, I'll take the fifth on that one. <laughs> I just one pitch at a time, Phil. One pitch at a time. Uh, I was reading... Was it Ron Luciano recently? I reading one of his books, and he said there might have been some nights when I might have acted inappropriately and had to go to work the next day. And the deal was tell the catcher, "You hold the ball there if you think it's a strike, and I'll call it a strike." And that was how we kind of worked with some of these catchers, the ones that I trusted. And I remember one day, a catcher picks the ball, just catches it, throws it right back to the pitcher, and the pitcher pops off the mound, losing his mind, saying it's a strike. Ron said, I, I wanted to say something, but we'll let the catcher tell him that he was calling the game later. So Exactly. <clears throat> okay, when you've been in this game a long time, you have your indicator. Do you like the three or four dial indicator? Oh, the three. Gotta go three, big guy. Yeah, keep it traditional, right? I don't care what any of it is. Yeah, yeah that doesn't matter to me. Just tell me when I go. Tell, when everyone walks off the field, I know exactly. I'm done. Yeah, when they walk off the field, I'll go too. Now we're talking Newfoundland and Canada. Let's... In your opinion, what's the biggest baseball community in Newfoundland? 
Now you complete the fifth here, but what's the biggest one? Oh, the biggest one. I mean, volume-wise, number-wise, it's 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 St. John's. Right, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they're the biggest atmospheric, in my in my opinion. Can I take the fifth on that no, one as okay. well? We, we're not going to incriminate you because we've talked about I mean, various across the country how every province kind of has a culture of baseball, and I'm just trying to get yours. We'll get it out of you another day. <laughs> Now, Newfoundland's known for a lot of great music, a lot of kitchen parties. What's your favorite singer, or musician, or specialty out of Newfoundland? Do you have one? Oh, Alan Doyle. I mean, we're not a great big scene. I mean, uh, although they're not together, they're a great, yeah. great band. 20 years, they did a fantastic run, Alan they Doyle. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big Ron Hines fan. God bless his soul. Passed well, on exactly. since. Exactly. But, I mean, some fantastic music that has come over to Newfoundland over the years. And it only gets better from here. Have you ever attended a few kitchen parties? I've hosted a few kitchen parties. <laughs> Are you musically inclined? Just ask a few of the guys. <laughs> ask Oko, ask Rory. Are you musically inclined? No, I'm not. No. Not at all. Somebody has to play the spoons. We know no. Buck's jobs keep the ice flowing, right? <laughs> the old night that Patty Murphy died. I'm a radio music man. <laughs> now, you're traveling across this beautiful country, okay? And you land in a town named Winnipeg. In your opinion, where is the best spot to get a nice cold adult beverage? Boy, that's a tough question uh, for sure. But I know there's that one spot in Winnipeg that there's always a cold beer on a summer's night. I remember I was attending the Gold Eyes game one time. And where should I find a cold beer? Actually, I knew the attendant, and he let me in the umpire's room. <laughs> and uh, I think Ron Suchuk was umpiring. Uh, I'm not sure if Dubell or Haji was with him. But anyway, I showed myself into the umpire's room and sat down and indulged in four or five of the guy's cold beer. Anyway, Such wasn't too happy with me uh, <laughs> after the game was over because there was only one beer left. So I uh, said, Ron, you can have that. But no, there's always a cold beer in the umpire's room at the Gold Eye Stadium, oh, without a doubt. And they're free, I assume, right? Well, I didn't pay. <laughs> You're still an IOU. And by the way, that Gold Eye Stadium is just a fa fantastic uh, stadium. It's probably one of the best umpiring rooms uh, I've been in. Uh, we have a great one here at St. Pat's, but uh, the Gold Eyes is definitely first class for sure. How so? What's so first class about it? Well, just the way it's laid out. I mean, where it is in, in the stadium. Um, uh, just a nice feel, right? Yeah. It is so. Uh, I gotta say, I enjoyed that ballpark. And that is a beautiful ballpark. That's where the 2017 baseball, not baseball, 2017 Canada Games were hosted, and it's just a phenomenal yes. venue. It over is. And over. Now let's move on from ten questions, Bucky. You have a feather or something special in your cap. You are one of Baseball Canada Umpire Lifetime Achievement Award recipients. Now, for those listening, this is a special award. This is not like the Dick Willis Award that's awarded annually as the Umpire of the Year, per se. But this isn't a special award in the sense that the candidate must have officiated or supervised at at least 15 national or international events and has made a significant contribution to the structure of umpiring in Canada, which may include but not limited to mentoring, evaluating, instructing, course conducting, sitting on national committees, or supervising. Can you share with us what it was like to be presented with this award and the honor that it bestows on the recipient? Well, actually, um, it uh, came as a, quite a surprise. I got a phone call from, uh, again, Ryan Garland, the executive director of Baseball Newfoundland, 
and he informed me that uh, I had to go to Ottawa for uh, Baseball Canada convention. I said, what? And he said, well, you have to. I said, I said, when is it? He said, in two days' time or three days' time, right? <laughs> anyway, so no, uh, he said, uh, you've been the, uh, the recipient of the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. I was quite thrilled. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's a very select crew that's that's received it since its conception. No uh, uh, Rocky Nickel received it this year, I do believe. Yes. Uh, Rocky, uh, um, Don Ryan out of Ontario, uh, uh, Len Bell, uh, Donnie Gilbert, uh, Don Ryan. Um, so to be associated with with, with that crew uh, is certainly uh, an honor. Quite thrilled and uh, quite surprised, but uh, I guess in other ways it's nice to be recognized and uh, and very humbling as well, right? No one's going to really recognize this. We do sometimes pat ourselves on the back as an organization. Yeah. Bucky, you've also received the Dick Willis Award, haven't you? That's a nice award too, the Dick Willis Award. Uh, 96. 96. My first involvement with Baseball Canada, Philip, was in 1990. Okay. I wasn't umpiring. Uh, I was the uh, liaison with uh, uh, Baseball Canada and the umpires. It was, the tournament was held here in St. John's. Yes. And Dick Willis was the supervisor. And I had the pleasure of driving Dick every day back and forth to the two, to the two ballparks. He was the only supervisor, so he was going back and forth oh, between wow. both of you. And I got to spend a week with Dick Willis, and what a fine gentleman he was, and a knowledgeable baseball uh, uh, umpire, and uh, just spent a great week with him. And uh, the turnaround in 96 to get the Dick Willis Award was was definitely another highlight of, of, of my career. I wear the, Back in those days, uh, we were given rings. And I still, obviously, I still have it with my name engraved on it, and in uh, the year, and the Baseball Canada logo, and the Empire of the Year on the ring. It's um, it's, it's something I treasure. It is as well as the Lifetime Achievement Award. Right. So yeah, very fortunate with those. Bucky, considering some of the recognition that you've had over the years, now it's your time to maybe recognize a local. What we like to do here on the Leading Edge is what we call local legends, where you just shoot out some names and talk about some of the local people that have given back to minor baseball and the baseball umpire community within your area. To the Umpires Association in particular? Yeah, somebody that's given back in the umpires world. Well, I mean, I can go back a bunch of years. I mean, when I first started, there was a guy by the name of Wayne Burton uh, back in late 70s, early 80s, um, when baseball in Newfoundland uh, Weren't, fl weren't flush with money and he'd drive across the province on his own uh, dime and put himself up in umpire games for nothing and uh, he'd done that for years. He certainly gave back and he's, he, he uh, would hold clinics on his own uh, at his own expense. Uh, he, he was a great, uh, uh, great administrator and, and a great guy to be around. A lot of our umpire and chiefs in the past, Al Skeens uh, from uh, Corner Brook uh, for 10 years or he, he ran the association and, and done a great job with it, right? Uh, Paul Whalen, an umpire back, uh, who actually threw me out of the association. Uh, he, he was another guy that certainly helped out uh, and tried to grow the umpire and association. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say the guy who took over from me um, 13 years ago, whatever it was, Mark Jones. Uh, Mark has done a tremendous job. He's a uh, the grassroots uh, lead for uh, Baseball Canada and uh, the umpiring committee and uh, great administrator, great umpire, uh, works hard. Yeah. And he's taking it, uh, taking it to, to another level, as have uh, most of the umpiring chiefs across the, the province, which is across the country, which is 
shows just what Baseball Canada is, is doing uh, for, for the umpire. So, right. uh, yeah, those guys certainly come to mind. Uh, we've got some new young fellas coming up now that uh, I think can carry the torch. Ryan Garland can do a good job at, uh, at the umpiring. Uh, We're not going to fault you, but that's a personal opinion when you start saying Ryan Garland can umpire, but let's not talk about that. Yeah, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's a long way away for Garland anyway, <laughs> you know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but No, but listen, I mean, I, I think... Um, uh, we're headed in the right direction. Uh, right. We're getting some young kids in there, right? What we need is, is, is people now to mentor these kids, and uh, we, we want to get them started fresh and get them headed in the right direction. Stop those bad habits when we can. Right, and now that's one of the beautiful things about the Baseball Canada Umpire Program, which we have already talked about here on the Leading Edge on this episode. But think about the Baseball Newfoundland Umpire Program. How many umpires are in the national program active in the program right now we have eight that's fantastic to hear that you have eight on a previous episode i apologize i alluded that newfoundland had six now i miscounted but it's so fantastic to hear that the umpire program is like you said before the numbers might not be there in general but it's always great to see programs grow yeah there's no doubt i think they are i mean some provinces of quebec and and, and ontario for sure i mean their numbers are growing right and uh, uh, i'm sure out west um, uh, they're growing as well we're comfortable, not comfortable, but I mean, we're pleased with where we are right now. And uh, not everybody can get to uh, the national program. They're, they're not cut out for it. Uh, they don't have the ability to get there. We're, we're making good progress, I think. Now, I'd be lying if I didn't say the leading edge here. We talk a lot about the Baseball Canada National Program. But in reality, what we're looking for is good umpires to umpire and officiate the caliber of baseball that's in their communities. Yeah umpiring is a family it's a community and we want to see top-notch umpiring for whatever local association that someone works because at the end of the day what we w truly want to see is baseball grow within the country true enough i mean uh this was a, a horrible year for everybody right and it's still going on yeah. but fortunately we got some baseball in here it wasn't ideal but uh it was still a teaching tool as well philip i mean uh, there were still games that i'm a firm believer in a pre-game meeting but more importantly, a post-game meeting, right? Yeah. I mean, that's where, that's where what I like. It's not done often enough. It's like at a national tournament where after the game is over, we're critiqued. And I think we should be doing that as a crew after the game is over. Right. Because even if it's, there's a perfect game thrown, there's never a perfect game for an umpire. There's always something that's gone screw where he didn't do this properly so you, you got to keep learning right and that's right. what i preach to our guys here was let's talk about the game let's see what happened how did we miss that one why and how can we improve it right that's what i like that's what i like to see in an umpire like an umpire who asks questions guys that come in and get dressed and go on home doesn't go over well with me Right? That's just my my opinion. I mean, because I can sit and talk umpiring all day, as you can, Phil, right? Because the same objective is to get better, get better. right? No you want to get to that next level. You want to know why, that why did you miss that obstruction? Why did you miss that interference, right? And, I mean, we've all missed calls. And, I mean, I mean, I know a number of calls that I've missed, right? I've missed <laughs> them at national tournaments. Thankfully enough, no one saw them, right? <laughs> the my, my two crewmates did, Lisa and Dave. They saw the mistake I made, but the other ones uh, didn't. But, no, I mean, you've got to after a game. And that's that's where I think, I mean, I can't speak for every province, but I know sometimes we lack that here. We, we just don't do that post-game self-evaluation, sit down and talk about it. 
Lucky, I couldn't agree more. We do make lots of mistakes as umpires, and one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was signing up. I did it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not your big mistake, Phil. No way. <laughs> well, I appreciate that vote of confidence, Bucky. I really, really do. Well, Bucky, this essentially concludes this episode of The Leading Edge. I want to thank you for coming on and sharing with us some of your fantastic stories and memories from your illustrious career over the years. Now, before you go, one of the final things we like to do is hand the mic over to our guest and give them the last parting words and what we essentially call the wise words of wisdom. So, Bucky, if you could pass down one thing, what would you like to pass down to our listeners? Well, Philip, thank you very much. And uh, listen, uh, thanks for uh, taking the time to, uh, first of all, think of me uh, to be part of your uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> certainly appreciate the the offer. It's a pleasure talking to you. And uh, wow. Uh, well, I alluded to it earlier. Let's make sure you look the part. That's, that's number one, right? Number two, I mean, we're there not to be noticed. I mean, I don't like people who are chatterboxes talking to people all the time. I don't like people who go on the sidelines talking to fans, right? I don't like people who, who, walk, who walk, right? The only time we walk is when we walk onto the field. Everything else is we run, right? Or we track. We get to where we're going, right? I don't like laziness. So, boys, let's hustle. Don't over-hustle. And I'll leave on this final note. Trevor Grieve once told me, uh, he, was a, he was the lead supervisor in 2015, he said, if you're going to run, run with a purpose. Well, that concludes this episode of The Leading Edge, where we talk with umpires about umpiring and look to cover topics on both sides of the plate. Join us on our next episode, where we bring on baseball Newfoundland and umpire executive director Ryan Garland and bring back our guest from episode one, Jeremy Nash, where we look to talk about how umpiring has brought us together and the friendships and the experiences that have been made along the way. But before you go, we would like to leave you with this. There's a common rule myth that people believe that the batter runner must turn right after they've overrun first base. Our question is, why would they turn wrong? Take care everybody and stay safe.